1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And in the time it took me to introduce the two of us, 14 new states have introduced sports betting laws. Seven of them legalized sports betting. 36 members of Congress introduced new federal bills or new interpretations of the Wire Act. And the New Jersey Devils somehow signed deals with 98 online sports betting sites. John, what the hell is going on? I can't keep up with this industry this week. Can you? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, I can't, Eric. Uh, it, it seems like one of those movies where something is about to happen when the ball drops in Times Square on December 31st and nobody will ever get to pass a bill or sign a deal again. But, um <laughs> But it's weird because think about how the U.S. Supreme Court made its sports betting ruling, right, on May 14th. So with football ruling the roost and starting in September, the two plays were to get going immediately. You think of New Jersey, Delaware, Mississippi, for example, uh, or just accept the fact you're going to miss the 2018 season. So you really have until you know spring or so, uh, 2019, to finalize your sports betting law. Um, now, March Madness College Hoops could be something to shoot for, but it doesn't seem like any state is focused on that. <laughs> Not even Pennsylvania, which I have a feeling is going to miss offering legal betting on Villanova and Friends by a matter of a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know what's up with this timing other than sort of the, the pre-holiday rush. But you're right that it doesn't really tie in directly with the, the sports schedule in any way. But something's in the air. Something's going on. And uh, every time you check Twitter, there's a, a new a new story breaking in our little industry here
2: yeah i can I can forgive the regulators I mean they shouldn't be rushing out to you know put out incomplete uh uh, ruling, rules just to to maximize the state uh, dollars. They, they have to be more careful in that, but the legislators, uh, legislators, I'm not sure what they're doing.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, we will have a lot more to say about all of the madness going on in the news cycle, uh, but first want to put a thank you out there to everybody for joining us for episode number 20 of Gamble On. Yes, we made it to 20, uh, and it's our final episode of 2018. More about that toward the end of the show. If you missed any of our previous 19 episodes, you can find them all on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app where we recommend that you click that subscribe button so you never miss a podcast.
2: Yes, and coming up a little later on the podcast, we're going to be speaking to our US Bets colleague Brian Pempis, one of the top reporters in the gambling business, uh, about some of the stories he's been covering over the past couple of months. Uh, but first, we have a lot of news to cover this week, as you mentioned, Eric, so let's get right to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: Yeah, as noted at the top of the show, this has been a completely out of control news week. Uh, The pre-holiday break legislative rush and deal-making rush are both in full effect. So instead of our usual three news stories that we spend four or five minutes apiece on, we're going to take a rapid-fire, lightning-round approach and scratch the surface on five news stories. Uh, the goal is to get in and out on each story in uh, two minutes or less. So here goes. Uh, first up, the biggest national story this week, uh, although it might amount to a whole lot of nothing. Uh, Senators Orrin Hatch and Chuck Schumer dropped a 101-page bill on Wednesday. The Sports Wagering Market Integrity Act of 2018 aimed at creating a federal oversight framework for sports betting. Uh, Most of it was the same as what we saw previously. Uh, The leagues love it because it includes them getting money for their data. Uh, One big change from the previously leaked version of the bill is that the leagues would keep getting that money until 2024 instead of 2022. This bill was introduced during lame duck season uh, with hatch on his way out. Uh, Many perceive the whole bill as uh, a lame duck. Uh, Just hatch appeasing mega-donor Sheldon Adelson on his way out the door, perhaps. Uh, You wrote a reaction piece on SportsHandle.com. Now I'm going to make you react again. Uh, What what are your thoughts on this piece of legislation, John?
2: Yeah, I I see a little bit of panic in the uh, legal uh, gaming industry, and uh, I think it's misplaced not only for the reasons you suggest, but I think more importantly, uh, everybody's got to remember, Congress can abolish sports betting tomorrow if they like. There's no legal dispute about that, that went on through the entire New Jersey case for six years, they can do it, like make it prohibition too, right? They just did it the wrong way in 1992, and that's why they got overturned. So this bill does nothing of the sort, and most of the language in it is either helpful or it's irrelevant. Um, States can offer sports betting. They just have to meet federal minimum standards. Uh, There's a couple of potential hiccups in there, but it's not it's not really uh, as onerous as some people think. Um, And one more thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't see this thing going anywhere either. I think inertia, inertia goes best of three falls with the major sports lobbyists and, and pins them to the mat.
1: Yeah. But so, but you're basically saying that the looking on, on the bright side of this, the glass half full point of view would be that, Congress has the power to ban sports betting. So this is at least a welcome alternative and potential uh, safeguard against that worst case scenario.
2: Oh, the, the most important thing to realize is Orrin Hatch was a sponsor of PASPA the right. 1992 while it was overturned. So he wanted in like fact, he wanted all 50 states to uh, 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 not be able to offer sports betting, a la New Jersey Senator Bill Bradley. Um, so 26 years later, He's throwing something out there and he's given up the ghost. He's saying, you know, we get that we we're not going to do that. We're just saying, you know, can't we have a little bit of oversight? Uh, That's a sea change in even his thinking. So uh, I I think this is not uh, the worst thing in the world. All
1: right. Well. Be that as it may, uh, hopefully, like Orrin Hatch, this bill will vanish next year. The, that would be the preferable <laughs> scenario. And I just want to say that I thought the, uh, the AGA's Sarah Slane, our guest on this podcast last week, had the best line about this when she said, this bill is the epitome of a solution in search of a problem. I thought that was very well said. It seems to be. Um, all right. Uh, we might have gone uh, just over two minutes there. We've got to work on our lightning round game. Uh, maybe we'll do better with story number two. Uh, on Tuesday, the D.C. Council voted 10 to 2 to legalize sports betting in our nation's capital. Uh, whatever does or doesn't happen with a federal bill uh, on the old state-by-state state plan, D.C., uh, though not a state technically, is going to have sports betting soon. Uh, But uh, online sports betting, at least for now, will be a monopoly for the D.C. lottery. And there's talk of enormous vigs and something like a 30 percent hold in the works. Uh, We talked about this last week before the legislation passed. Any new thoughts now that D.C. has been added to the list of entities legalizing sports betting in 2018?
2: Eric, you know, we all said Pennsylvania was crazy for having such high tax rates on casinos uh, and then uh, on sports betting, too. But from a taxpayer's standpoint it seems to be working there um the takeout rates in dc as i noted on twitter i think it's going to make some loan sharks plus <laughs> <laughs> but if people are if somehow if people are willing to accept just awful odds that their odds of winning are slim and wait slim just left town uh, i guess it could work i mean uh look at the lottery people play that and uh, mm-hmm. that's uh that doesn't work so well so i think the most likely scenario if they try this uh on un- changed is that Virginia legalized in 2019 and forces them to change at that point.
1: Yep, uh, we touched on that that last time. And that's, uh, that's exactly what's on my mind here, that the monopoly probably won't last beyond whenever Maryland or Virginia legalizes sports betting. Indeed. All right. That was better in terms of uh, the lightning approach. Uh, Next on the docket, uh, the first revenue figures of the Pennsylvania sports betting era are in. Uh, They're very limited because we had only one venue operating for only about half of one month. But in the second half of November, Hollywood Casino at Penn National generated one point four million dollars of sports betting handle. uh, So right around one hundred thousand dollars a day uh, and generated just over five hundred thousand dollars in gross revenue, which is a misleading figure because presumably a A lot of futures bets were made and the outcomes haven't been determined yet. Um, It's been a busy week for Pennsylvania sports betting, as in addition to those figures being released, Sugarhouse Casino in Philadelphia and Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh both opened their sports books, meaning the December revenue report will be more informative than the November report. Uh, Any immediate takeaways from that one point four million dollar figure for Hollywood Casino?
2: Uh, well, I, I think that, uh, of course, we've both already been to Sugar House Casino in Philadelphia mm-hmm. now, and, and it's first week. And a temporary sports book there is pretty nice, by the way. Yep. But um, I think the key difference of Pennsylvania, and this is going to go on forever, will be the percentage of locals who will just keep pounding bets on the local teams. Um, New Jersey, I've, I've seen polling over the years. The percentage of New Jerseyans who are Giants fans or Jets fans or Eagles fans isn't even much bigger than the percentage who are all over the map. You know, so um, you don't get that mass concentration of, of betting on one local favorite team in new jersey but you do clearly in pennsylvania uh so you're going to get the steelers in in pittsburgh and the eagles in philadelphia and so i think i'm going to look for higher highs and lower lows per month in pennsylvania compared to new jersey
1: yeah uh, certainly based on the very limited sample size of uh eagles games since sugar house opened uh which is uh you know a one game sample there uh it, it, it was uh, pr- some pretty interesting numbers. Uh, they told me uh, this week that about five times more bets were made on the Eagles-Rams game than on any other game. And uh, 91% of the money line action was on the Eagles. Uh, about 60 to 65% they said of the spread bets were on the Eagles. Um so uh, the, the, the house took a hit with that one. And uh, meanwhile, similar thing going on in Pittsburgh with the Steelers uh, upsetting the Patriots. So a um, bit of a rough start uh, in terms of uh, wins for the house. Um, but uh, I think you're right that uh, if those if those teams keep winning, there's going to be a lot of action uh, at those books uh, heading into into the playoffs. The handle should be uh, a lot higher, I think, at both of those books than at Hollywood Casino, just given their their placement in big population centers.
2: Yeah, and I think the books there are going to have to figure out if they want to really play with the lines to influence the casual better, factoring in that the big better is going to be watching as well. So it'll be a little bit of a challenge.
1: Right. Okay, uh, moving right along, some New Jersey news. Uh, You wrote about this, John. Uh, Each land-based venue in New Jersey gets three online sports betting skins, and Monmouth Park's third and final skin went to The Score, a Canada-based app, making this a first-of-its-kind partnership between a brick-and-mortar venue and a North American media company as the betting partner. Uh, Makes me wonder why usbets.com didn't secure this deal for itself. Um, But seriously, this is uh, interesting news that probably would have caused more waves in a slower news week. Uh, You spoke with Dennis Drazen about this. Uh, What do you have to say about the score getting its own betting app in New Jersey?
2: Uh, I just see it as a perfect match. Uh, you had a an app that uh, people already used to check on their daily fantasy sports teams. Uh, let's face it, in some cases, they're illegal bets. Um, and, and so it was a very convenient, consumer-friendly uh, app, and millions of people use it. And so by mid-2019, you'll be able to seamlessly bet on the same platform in New Jersey. Um reminds me of a little bit of the FanDuel crossover with daily fantasy sports, the Meadowlands racetrack, and online sports betting. So uh, I think this is a smart play all around.
1: Yep, you, you took uh, a lot of the observations I was I was thinking of making here. That, that you know this is a, a popular app, so uh, it'll be interesting to see if they get that instant traction with customers in New Jersey, just because the people already use the app for news and to track the games, uh, uh, and so to you know pretty pretty easy to transition and deposit money and and start doing their betting there. Just like you said, it was it helped DraftKings and FanDuel uh, get off to a hot start uh, by having the people already having the apps uh, on their phones and uh, being familiar with the brand. And so we'll see if uh, it provides a similar launch for the score.
2: Yeah, Exactly. So uh, is there a story number five, Eric?
1: There is indeed. uh, Our final story this week. Uh, We end with uh, some news that uh, this isn't news yet, uh, but it's about to be news. Uh, The Department of Justice's Office of Legal Counsel, U.S. Bets has been informed, will issue a new opinion on the Wire Act tomorrow, Friday. The general consensus speculation seems to be that a new interpretation that all online gambling must be intrastate, not interstate, uh, would only really affect online poker, uh, although it would affect online poker in a huge way going forward as interstate liquidity is considered essential for online poker growing again. Uh, But anyway, like Sarah Slane said about the new federal bill, this feels like a solution in search of a problem. Uh, It might lead absolutely nowhere. What's your initial reaction, John?
2: Well, Eric, we're talking about the Wire Act of 1961, which Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. I mean, hell, this law is even older than I am, (laughs) for Pete's sake. All right. I I looked it up, and damn it, I'm four weeks older. But I'm only four weeks older than the Wire (laughs) Act. (laughs) Wow. a
1: close call. Yeah.
2: Yeah, So you get the idea. But, uh, you know, an opinion isn't enough. Congress, obviously, long ago, should have formally amended this law in some fashion to account for, you know, that interwebs thing we have. Um, mm-hmm. uh, of course, you know, a lot of industry people are probably listening and saying, well, you know, careful what you wish for. Don't Let's not rock the boat. But, you know, I'll be shocked if this opinion makes the industry feel as if anything is truly settled. Uh, even the issue of whether online poker might be uh, banned across state lines is not clear in the minds of a lot of legal experts. So we're, we've been in a muddle for a long time, and, and I don't think we're getting out of it either way with this. Right.
1: Yeah, just speaking as an online poker player, uh, you know, I I love online poker. It's my favorite form of online gambling. And I'm really looking forward as a Pennsylvania resident to being a part of player pools that include New Jersey and Nevada and Delaware, where I don't have to wait forever for a table to fill because there are enough players to fill those tables. Uh, So just selfishly, uh, I'm saying, please, DOJ, don't screw this up. Uh, I, I I feel like we need to drop in the soundbite from the Bad News Bears sequel of the crowd chanting, let them play, let them play. <laughs> uh, but seriously, let, let us play. If, uh, if if online poker is legal, there's no good reason why online poker across state lines should be illegal. Uh, strikes me as as just a, a, a silly thing to uh, drill down on. But again, we're kind of reporting this before the story is even out there yet. We don't know quite what we're dealing with yet.
2: Yeah, it's even more poignant on the New Jersey side. You know, they've been waiting for a uh, a love interest like Pennsylvania for five years. (laughs) They've been playing because they don't have – there's even fewer people in New Jersey. And the two of them together, you know, I've been reporting on this for years. That's pretty much – a. A solid liquidity. I mean, more states is even better, of course, but it it gets pretty much to where the online poker player needs to go. And now uh, at the cusp of it here, and then this thing comes in, it is is a bit of a fly in the ointment.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have uh, more to say about that uh, with our guests. So uh, perhaps we should uh, move along to the interview.
2: Let's do it.
0: It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the
2: Gamble On interview.
1: We have welcomed several members of the U.S. Bets family to the podcast already, uh, from two-time guest Adam Small to Robert Delafave to sports handles Brett Smiley. This week, we're going to talk shop with another member of the team, one of the top reporters in the gambling industry space, Brian Pempis. Brian, welcome to Gamble On.
3: Glad to be here, guys.
1: So I want to start off uh, with some very current news, uh, something John and I uh, discussed a bit during our news segment. Uh, You got the scoop that tomorrow, Friday, Uh, The DOJ's Office of Legal Counsel will offer a new opinion on the Wire Act. And you spoke to former New Jersey State Senator Ray Lesniak about this. Based on your conversation with Senator Lesniak and anything else you've ascertained, what's your sense of what impact this Wire Act opinion could have?
3: Well, I think the main fear is what it would do to interstate online poker compacts. And as you guys know, with the online poker industry still kind of struggling to get to its feet, to stand up, a you know reversal on the wire rack could definitely uh, put a damper on things, especially with the excitement regarding Pennsylvania going online and joining the online poker liquidity sharing arrangement that's currently ongoing between Nevada, Delaware, and New Jersey. So I think that's again, I feel sorry for poker players. You know, Black Friday and you know <laughs> all these years waiting for um, some expansion of online poker in the U.S. and and it seems like a revisit of the Wire Act opinion from 2011 might, you know, target uh, poker more so than any other game. Um, but I think outside of that, um, it could spook some payment processors into uh, not uh, regarding online gaming as, um, you know, the legal and regulated industry that it that it is and the growing industry that it is. So I think there you have some issues. Um, but it large it largely depends on. Uh, the way the, uh, the opinion is worded. I mean, I think we'll know more tomorrow. It's really hard to say now exactly what it means because um, the language is not out there yet. And you could definitely have a partial reversal of the 2011 opinion. Uh, you could have a complete uh, reversal or reinterpretation. So there's definitely uh, many different parts of the equation that could, um, you know, will we'll play out tomorrow. So we'll definitely know more tomorrow.
1: Yeah. One thing is for sure, though, is that uh, over the last, I guess, dozen years or so now, online poker players have gotten used to uh, their share of bad beats, Uh, whether whether, you know, directly in a game of poker. Of course, you have to take those. But uh, just in terms of the way that online poker operates in the U.S., it just seems like uh, just when you feel like you're on a roll, there's there's always a bad beat around the corner.
3: For sure, yeah. Poker, uh, you know, it kind of gets takes a beating in in a way. Um, so <laughs> it'd be nice to see uh, online poker grow along with the uh, sports betting boom we have going on. So it yeah. it would be, uh, you know, very unfortunate if the Wire Act is uh, reinterpreted to uh, you know deal a blow to poker. Yeah. So,
2: uh, Brian, I, I mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast I'm actually a month older than the Wire Act, so uh, <laughs> I would, it's fair to say I'm um, only only four weeks. But uh, so it's fair to say you're a little bit younger than me. So uh, I'm curious about what was your perspective growing up on the future of gambling in the United States. Uh, obviously, the poker boom of 15 years ago was so big, and uh, and you grew up with a lot more advanced technology. Um, I suspect you might have better seen coming the logic of legalization of online poker and casino games, and now online sports betting. But uh, you know, w- was increased legal gambling options? Was that a frequent topic of you and your peers growing up? You know, it's a really interesting question.
3: Um, the poker boom was was really fascinating in the sense that uh, it was considered a game that you could make a living at. And the other casino games, whether online, uh, you know, from the offshore uh, poker sites or, or gaming sites or um, legal offerings in a brick and mortar casino, everything was kind of seen as uh a leak to your poker game to your poker bankroll you know poker was the skill game that everyone uh felt they could you know get the edge at you know have an edge at uh, versus the competition and uh playing the other games was sort of a, a way to uh you know just have fun and, but it was never to be done seriously and and you should never uh you know get too far into that because it could you know jeopardize your poker bankroll and you should focus on poker um So that's sort of the environment that I grew up in uh, finding casino gaming during the, the height of the poker boom. Um, And it's interesting. I I come from the Cleveland area and when the casino, the brick and mortar casino came there, um, it kind of uh, had a little bit of a negative impact on the vibrant charity poker scene that was going on at the time. So at the time uh, poker was, you know, seen as like the form of gambling that uh, everyone was interested in. And then when, you know, blackjack came to cleveland it it took away some of the appetite for poker and so it was really interesting with poker being the game for for many years um it definitely uh, you know kind of changed the way you viewed other games because every other game was kind of viewed as um you know the house has an edge you don't have the edge uh so uh the people that i kind of grew up with playing poker and, and and gambling with um You know, we were so hyper focused on poker and and getting better at poker and and understanding poker that I wouldn't say that, you know, we were super interested in uh, a ton of legal gambling options. And in in some cases, maybe, you know, people viewed uh, expanded gambling options as as hurting uh, the game of poker, actually. All right. Well, we're going to keep talking
1: about uh, poker here. It's uh, come up quite a bit already in this interview, but there's a, a specific story that I want to touch on. Uh, you got some good scoops over the last few weeks about the Poker Stars versus Gordon Veo. Is it Veo or Vio? I've, I've, I keep uh, struggling to settle on that one. It's Veo, right?
3: I believe so. Yeah, it's been <laughs> a,
1: a while since I watched the
3: uh, World Series of Poker <laughs> right. broadcast. But, right. Yeah.
1: All right, we'll go with uh, Gordon Veo for now if we're wrong, uh, so be it. But uh, for anyone who doesn't know about this case, PokerStars withheld uh, Veo's first place payout for a a big tournament he won because PokerStars believed he was playing illegally from within the United States. He insisted he was in Canada. He sued them, and PokerStars discovered that he had forged some documents indicating he was in Canada, and once they called him out on that, he dropped the suit. So, uh, Brian, as someone who's covered the poker industry, knows poker players a bit, how do you see this scandal impacting Gordon Vayo going forward? Is he going to be a pariah at all in the poker community or will this be quickly forgotten?
3: I think it'll be quickly forgotten. Um I don't see his reputation uh taking a hit long term. Uh I, I definitely think it all blow over blow over for him. Um you know, thankfully for him that he, you know,'s off the hook now with those uh legal fees which is definitely a a uh, a Christmas present for him, I would say. But uh I think the poker world is a very forgiving world in some ways i mean look at the return of howard Lederer and chris ferguson mm-hmm. um you know stemming from the uh, the black friday days you know i think if you know potentially any criminal charges stemmed from the allegations regarding the forgery uh in the vao case um you know you could potentially see gordon become a very sympathetic figure uh in the poker world i mean just uh to um another you know i guess comparison to the or um, connection to the full tilt case or a parallel, you could say, uh, would be, you know, that only one of the principals uh, from that company spent any time uh, behind bars uh, for for the scandal. So I think if, you know, veil somehow uh, had any criminal repercussions from the forgery and and gotten further trouble, I think um, you could see so- some sort of a situation where uh, people in the poker community think he's being, you know, unfairly. Uh, punished in a way I, hmm. I, I feel like uh, poker players yeah are very forgiving of their own and um, I definitely don't see it impacting his you know trustworthiness at all among poker players uh, I think the poker community can definitely put his actions his alleged actions against poker stars and the poker stars case uh, you know in its own box and kind of view him uh, view Gordon as you know uh, his role his, you know poker career and and poker trustworthiness in a, in a separate, you know, box, um, category. So I, I don't, I don't see it impacting Gordon at all in the poker community. Uh, I'm sure poker star is, is not happy with him (laughs) still. And I'm not, and I'm not, uh, sure about if he could ever play on the site. Again, that's a a, a question that I would love to have answered if, if, you know, they're no longer going to accept his business under any circumstances, but I think otherwise, I mean, as long as he's not looking for a sponsorship deal with a poker site, then he'll, he'll be all right.
2: All right. Uh, Brian, you know, like the rest of us, uh, you've had to uh, slog through some pretty dense state government hearings on expanded legal gambling in, in those states. Um, uh, I'm wondering about your experience. I mean, have you found that all hearings have a tasty nugget in there somewhere or, or do you leave hungry sometimes? And uh, I, I don't want to forget to reference. Um, you have to tell us about the uh, Mount Airy Casino uh, faux pas the other day. That is so dumb that it almost sounds like a plant by anti <laughs> gambling zealots.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, sometimes I wonder if the tasty nuggets from the hearings are, you know, just esoteric things that you know you only find humor in if, um, or you know, of note if you cover the industry. But um, you know, I always find it um, fascinating when when lawmakers or policymakers talk about gaming and casinos um, without, you know, I guess the most up-to-date knowledge on the industry. So you have some interesting comments every now and then about. Uh, the way casinos work or the way, you know, online gaming works um, that provides some color to allow these hearings. And, you know, there, there's always politics involved with with gaming, with any legislation, obviously, and, and gaming uh, brings out some, you know, colorful commentary. And you have people who are diehard, diehards opposed to it. So when you have proponents and and people that are really against it kind of coexisting in the same discussions you can definitely have some interesting uh moments and i would say that yeah like the pennsylvania gaming control bird hearing some of the the most interesting uh components of it are, are from what i would call like the muck of the hearing uh the the discard pile in a way like you get rid of all the um aside from all the you know um regulatory matters uh about licensing and approvals you have you know Kind of the uh, the unsavory things kind of are discussed in certain parts, and 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 um, you know the regulators have a great system for you know uh, overseeing the industry and issuing fines against operators if they if they slip up. Um, and uh, yeah, in the case of uh, Mount Airy, they had a a little bit of a, a rough go of it at the uh, hearing yesterday. They were the casino was essentially uh, outlining. A lot of uh, several alcohol-related violations, and luckily, uh, the 12-year-old incident did not involve alcohol. Which uh, the board was, was uh, very pleased to hear that the 12-year-old did not consume any alcohol in the Ugh. casino. But um, they they were uh, pretty ticked off that the 12-year-old got in on the floor. You can't, as if people don't know, you can't bring anyone underage on the casino floor, even with a parental guardian, and the casino defended itself to regulators, saying that the grandparents uh, with the 12-year-old did everything they could to try to get this kid in, and uh, you know the kid slipped in or slipped into the cracks. So when security wasn't looking, so I think uh, that's a pretty good uh, defense there. And uh, you know I can't say whether or not these grandparents were trying to, um, you know, do any reputational harm to Mount Airy Casino or the Pennsylvania gaming market. Or if they were just being, you know, really irresponsible and trying to bring, uh, you know, their grandkid in or or what. But uh, it's definitely uh, something that regulators take very seriously, even if the the underage person didn't gamble or consume any alcohol. Just their presence
2: is something that they take very
3: seriously.
1: Yeah,
2: I'm suspecting eggnog and grandma. That's kind of where I'm going. (laughs)
1: I think there's yeah. something to be said, though, for you know, getting getting all your vices, all the boxes checked off at once. Sort of like how you you know used to get your kids exposed to the chicken pox so they wouldn't they wouldn't get it again. Just get it over with. I think if you're gonna bring the 12 year old on the casino floor, yeah, a little alcohol, maybe a, a, an interaction with a prostitute. <laughs> get it all out of the way at once. I'm thinking.
3: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Although they should probably go to Vegas for that rather than (laughs) Pennsylvania. That's true. That's true. Good point.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, great stuff. Thanks for joining us this week on the podcast, Brian. Uh, Listeners, um, if you're into this industry and you're not following Brian on Twitter, you need to remedy that. His handle is his name, at Brian Pempis. So everyone give him a follow. Brian, great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show.
3: Yep. Good talking to you guys. I'll talk to you
2: later. Thanks, Brian. Two men. Two men
3: ten thousand
2: dollars will they run it up or blow it all it's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll
1: We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, uh, but we start, as always, with our shared bankroll. And we went two for four last week, which sounds like a break-even week or even a losing week thanks to the VIG. But no, we were profitable because our bigger bets were winners. Uh, John had two college football bets. The $110 bet on North Carolina A&T to cover lost, but the $165 bet on Fresno State won. So that's $40 of profit there on my end the $50 long shot money line bet on the Cardinals lost uh, and not by a little, uh, but the $110 bet on the Colts Cowboys under won, so that's a profit of $50. And on top of those two small gains, we have a big gain to report as we won $200 on the 290 that John risked on the Browns over five and a half wins. We were sweating Woo-hoo! it all season long. Yeah, confidence waxed and waned over the course of the season, <laughs> but we got there. Good job, John. Thank you. Uh, and we also uh, picked up $100 on the $380 that I bet on the Bears to win the NFC North. Uh, so it was a strong week all around. And I didn't even mention uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, taking over as the MVP favorite ahead of Drew Brees. But still a couple weeks to go before we know. No, Actually, a couple weeks to go in the season, but it'll be even longer than that before we know who has won the MVP. Uh, but we are now in the black by $677, uh, a new high for us. With $1,180 now tied up in futures bets, leaving us $9,497 to bet with this week. And you're up first, John.
2: Yeah. I don't forget the, uh, the Spurs who I have under forty three and a half blew a 21 point second half lead at home on Saturday against the hapless bulls. That was beautiful. So, uh, <laughs> although uh, the I'll Spurs, get...
1: have they've been on a little bit of a winning run since, uh, uh since you counted them out a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, we'll they're see.
2: back and forth. We'll, we'll get back to that one, uh, yep. in 2019, but, yep. uh, meanwhile, college football has been good to me, obviously the last couple of months. So I'm going to have to go back to that. Well, uh, going bowling again, you might say, <laughs> um,
1: Western this, this Mi- time
2: I know what you mean by bowling. Yes, bowling. Uh Western Michigan plus twelve and a half points, uh, one ten to win a hundred over Brigham Young in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl on Friday night. Now hear me out. <laughs> uh, both teams start true freshman at quarterback, which is pretty rare uh they each only started a handful of games i don't even expect a high scoring game here so that's what makes 12 and a half points so appealing hmm. uh what else do i like to see uh there's a western michigan running back uh, levante bellamy averaging over six yards a carry that suggests ball control we're nearly two full scores to play with uh go broncos
1: all right. I like it. Uh, for my first bet, I'm throwing an NBA futures bet out there on play sugar house. The Indiana Pacers are plus 300 to win the Central Division. They are currently two games behind the Bucks after a close loss to Toronto last night and uh, three and a half games ahead of the Pistons. To me, they really should be close to 50-50 to win the division. I mean, two games is no big deal. The Pistons aren't that good. It, it, it's either the Bucks or the Pacers. Maybe the odds should be, like, plus 150 or something on the Pacers. Maybe plus 200, but not plus 300. Uh, the Pacers are a good team. I saw them beat my 76ers in person last week. Um, I know the Bucks are sexier because they have a young superstar in Giannis Antetokounmpo, but uh, the Pacers at plus 300, those are ridiculously good odds. Let's put 100 bucks on it.
2: That was uh, Giannis what?
1: <laughs> Antetokounmpo. Come on, it's easy yeah, you just, to say.
2: You just, you just wanted to say that. You're just showing off now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I made the, the whole reason I made the bet was to get around to saying yeah, so. Giannis Antetokounmpo on a podcast. You're right. You um, caught me.
2: I'm reading your mind. All right, I've got <laughs> one next. Uh, the Armed Forces Bowl on Saturday, that's going to be Army and Houston. Uh, Army comes in on an eight-game winning streak, uh, course, a win over Navy that we both profited from. Um, Army leads the nation in time possession, an astounding 39 minutes per game. Hmm. And Houston's defense is so bad, they recently fired the defensive coordinator, and they've been struggling in general. Houston lost a starting quarterback. They'll likely start a freshman. Um, Uh, The one caveat, and it's something to consider, is that Army's rushing edge is sometimes due to a lack of time for opponents to adjust to that fabled triple option. Uh, You know, just a couple days of practice and you never see it again. uh, While the Cougars have plenty of time with a bowl game. So that's something to be said. But then again, they don't have a veteran defensive coordinator either to figure it out. So they're too banged up on defense. So give me Army at minus 3.5 points, 165 to win 150.
1: All right, the big 165, the show of confidence on that one uh, from John Brennan. All right, uh, for the final bet, uh, it didn't work out for us uh, last week, but I'm going to try another NFL money line underdog, but not a big one here. The Steelers are plus 210 at FanDuel Sportsbook against the Saints in New Orleans. Uh, The Steelers are scrapping to clinch the division. Uh, They're coming off a big win over New England. They might have James Conner back this week, as we record. It's not looking great on that front, but it's possible that he'll return. The Saints have looked a little flat the last few weeks, especially on offense. And uh, the Steelers get great pressure on the quarterback. I think they're a very live dog here. Worth a little sprinkle of 50 bucks to try to win 105. And we wrap up with the Fast Five. After week 13, I was 34, 33, and 3. You were 34, 35, and 1. And we had three picks in common. Uh, those went 2 and 1. Unfortunately, we both whiffed on our solo picks. Uh, so uh, so, we, uh, so that means we both went 2 and 3 overall, leaving me at 36, 36, and 3, and you at 36, 38, and 1. Uh, with just two weeks, uh, 10 picks each left to go. Uh, and we discussed this last week, uh, how I could theoretically wait to see who you picked and, and just make the same picks as you to preserve my lead, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, we each sent our picks in advance to Robert Delavov, who has a new title, uh, U.S. Bets Director of Fast Five Integrity. Uh, he can confirm for us after the fact that our picks uh, were made independently. Uh, this was your idea, John, a fine idea. I support it. So now that the integrity of the picks has been established, beyond a doubt, uh, go ahead and, and make your five picks.
2: And by the way, we're not even charging a fee, so uh, that's good, <laughs> true, fully on us. But uh, yeah, we're, uh, you and I, we're like in a battle for a final playoff spot. Uh, we're not that good, but it's a tight competition. Um, right. And indeed, that deflected pass in overtime in the Eagles-Cowboys game continues to be the difference maker. Uh, but as another other note, I had the Chiefs minus 3.5 uh, last week with four minutes left against the Chargers. And uh, if they held that 14-point lead in the last five, four or five minutes, uh, we would be in a flat-footed tie. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. I'm, I'm close. I'm just close. I just need a break. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, let's get on to the picks here. Uh, Chargers minus five versus Ravens on Saturday night. Uh, three days of extra rest for the Chargers. Home cooking comes in handy this time of year. I expect Melvin Gordon back. So this Charger team is clearly better than the one that just took down the Chiefs in Kansas City. So I'm okay giving giving five to the Ravens. Uh, Colts giving nine and a half to the Giants. Uh, the G-Men saw the backup quarterback fueled rebound end with a thud at home last week. Uh, Saquon Barkley obviously is scary. Uh, I. I don't care if Odell Beckham plays or not. I don't think he's going to matter in this game. He's he's too banged up. So uh, I think the Colts will win this game easily. Um, Falcons plus three and a half, first to Panthers. Uh, here was an opening line we got before we knew that Cam Newton was out. So if you knew that, then it's surely one of your picks. But I just have to match it. I'm glad to have that integrity check of picks. 49ers getting five points at home over the NFC North champion Bears. NFC North champion Bears. That's part of this uh, mm-hmm. equation. I asked the Broncos or the Seahawks if the 49ers are competitive. Uh, They are. Uh, Raiders, finally, uh, last one, plus two and a half versus the Broncos on Monday night. Uh, The 2018 Raiders died a long time ago, but uh, they've got spunk. Uh, The wounds, though, are still fresh for the Broncos, and I think that will show on a national stage.
1: All right, I, I think you're going to like to hear this. We have two picks in common, which isn't too many, but still, it's it's two. But we also have one head-to-head here. So definitely some, r- some room for you to make up uh, some ground. It's not like you have a lot of ground to make up. You just need to make up a little. Uh, okay. uh, let's see what happens here. Uh, I'm starting with the Saturday early game. Uh, despite them proving me wrong against Jacksonville last week, I believe that the Washington Redskins, as currently composed due to injuries, are barely worthy of being called a professional football team. Uh, They will find that the Titans are far better than the Jaguars. And of course, the Titans are fighting for their playoff lives. So even as 10-point favorites, I like Tennessee to cover. Uh, That one's for you, Adam Small. Uh, Next, uh, this is one of our shared picks, also on Saturday. I don't love the line in the Chargers-Ravens game. As you said, it's Chargers by five. There's no guarantee that they're going to quite cover that, but the the Chargers are the hot team. They're the more talented team, as you said. Melvin Gordon is playing. Uh, they have a shot at the top seed in the in the entire AFC. I think they'll take care of business at home and beat the Ravens by more than five. Uh, And I hope they do because I have a Bears-Steelers division winner parlay bet in real life. Uh, And if the Ravens win here, they could screw that up for me. So uh, go Chargers. Um, Now, who would have thought we'd see a time when the Cleveland Browns would open as a seven-point favorite and the number would be way too low, and it would move to 10. Yes, that's right. The Browns are now minus 10 against the Bengals, uh, but we get it at minus 7. Uh, I was really expecting us to have this pick in common. Uh, to me, mm. this is a, a no-brainer to include in the fast five. Um, although, I'm tempted in real life to put a few bucks on Cincinnati on the money line at plus 330, because wouldn't it just be perfectly Brownsy for them to finally have everyone believing and then lose at home to a team with nothing to play for?
2: That's what I think. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's in play, but, uh, nevertheless at the line of seven, I'm taking the Browns. Um, Next uh, is the uh, the other one we have in common, and uh, yeah, you can check with uh, with Robert. I got this one in in advance. Uh, I'm pouncing on that, that line that has moved big time since it opened. Uh, the Falcons uh, were three-and-a-half-point underdogs at Carolina. Then Cam Newton was ruled out, and now the Falcons are actually three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. But in this game that we're playing with our rules, uh, which we might want to change next season, uh, but for now, the rules are the rules. Uh, you have to take advantage of a line that moves this much. Uh, the Falcons. Falcons have been wildly inconsistent all season, but against quarterback Taylor Heineke, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, I see them as a must bet. And so that leads us to my final pick and our one head-to-head this week, uh, a team that has paid off handsomely if you bet them all season long. The Chicago Bears have gone 10-4 and against the spread this year. I expect them to make it 11-4. and As you said, they're five-point favorites at San Francisco The Niners got their surprising late season win against Seattle last weekend. I don't think they're getting another. I am a tiny bit concerned about the lack of motivation for the Bears, who, as you said, already clinched their division. But I'm only a tiny bit concerned. I think they're still playing to win. I'm taking the Bears, minus five. And uh, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. An important note before we sign off. We're off next week for the holidays. There's no podcast, so this is our final episode of the year. So that means for week seventeen of the Fast Five, we won't be able to podcast about it, but we will exchange our picks privately. We will send them to our director of Fast Five Integrity, uh, and we will also post them publicly on Twitter in case you, uh, you guys want to keep an eye on who we picked. Um, and then we'll be back on Thursday, January third, to reveal the final results and who won the inaugural Adam Small Cup. Until then, you can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, I'll say happy holidays to everybody listening. And John, for the final time in 2018, please take us out.
2: Uh, Eric, it's been a blast doing this weekly podcast. Really, really enjoy it. And I can't wait for more in 2019. And until then, uh, let's everybody gamble on.